Need a break from the horrifying reality of real life? Well, do we have a sexy deal for you. Go to adamandeve.com and use our special code HORROR for 50% off almost any item and free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R at checkout for 50% off and free shipping. Order now and get ready to... I'm actually good. Hello, everyone. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another exciting episode of I'm Horrified. Ooh, we are coming at you at at like a low caliber this week. <laughs> We're both sick. Yeah, we had to take last week off because we got sick in like the same moment. Yeah, like the, the germs started riddling our frames yeah. at the same second. It hit you first. <laughs> and I texted you like, I'm dying. And then you texted me back like, that's so weird. I'm I'm I dead. Might, so. I might also be dying. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it really was. It was like, you texted me one day like, oh, I'm dying. And then the next day I woke up in the morning and I was like, I too am dead. Wow. Yeah. I, Allie and I have so much in common in that we're both deceased. Um, so thank you guys for being patient with us on taking last week off. Yeah, and this, we appreciate it. And this week we're going to do our best for you because we want to be back, but are we back spiritually? I don't know. I feel like an old, old lady. You know, like <laughs> when you're in your 80s and when your grandma gets a cold mm-hmm. and then she just has that cold like kind of for the for rest of Kind of, of forever. It. Yeah. yeah. She kind of rides that cold out to the grave. Yep. I feel like this might be my grave cold. This could be it. It's early. <laughs> yeah, this could be it though. You've always been a high achiever, so that makes sense that you would do this first. Yeah, I feel I feel done. <laughs> I feel good. No, you can't be done because we still have to record <laughs> this still, episode. We still have to do this episode. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep on keeping on through this at least. So we're coming at you this week with two spooky, spooky topics. We should start thinking about what we're going to do for our Halloween episode. I have given it zero thought. Well, we have time. I think last year we did like spooky stories. We did. I could do more spooky stories. Yeah, and you guys wrote in some of, some of your spooky stories, yeah. which was very fun. I finally got to talk about the Baba Yaga, who I think about a lot. I remember there was a tweet that was like, <laughs> Baba Yaga, but um, sing it like Santa Baby. <laughs> Baba, Baba Yaga. Um, it down my chimney tonight. <laughs> Yep. Um, Maybe there's something we could do with that. Ooh, maybe it's a musical episode, our Halloween episode this year. Sam, did we talk about the fact that you went to Disney World? Oh, I did, you guys. I I feel like this is not a Disney podcast at all, but I feel like (laughs) it comes up. It does. It comes up every month. I just want you to talk about it. I went to Disney. It was really fun. I went to Disney World with my dad and my boyfriend um, because my dad had been in his company for 25 years. And when you're at that company for 25 years, they give you a Disney trip. So, Allie, I expect you to start working there any day now. Yeah, no. Now that I know that's part of it. <laughs> um, but it was a really fun trip. And I gotta be frank. I gotta be honest. I would not have been able to do it. I would not have been successful without you, Allie. This woman right here. Oh, shucks. Stop it. Telling me how to do everything. Making me watch a ton of videos. I did make you watch a lot of DFB videos. It's like I, and I'm sure the listeners at home, had thought you had become a little unhinged. <laughs> But it really helped me in the but end. But then when it was to your benefit... That was fine. You thought, no, oh, it's okay. I was happy to take advantage. I found a whole new um, uh, pocket of my obsession. I found, because I've only been watching like tip videos, but not yes. really vloggers. I started watching Disney in Detail, which is just a woman. She lives in England. She goes to Florida like three times a year for like wow. weeks at a time. Wow. And vlogs all of it. Damn. And I'm like, I'm such an, I'm such an asshole. I'm like judging her like... <laughs> Three trips a year, like weeks at a time, like oh, that's ridiculous. But I'm the one sitting on the couch 
watching, watching her. all of it. Yeah. Watching Taking every it minute. In. I put it on the background of my car. Yeah. You know, like listen to it like a podcast. <laughs> so I don't judge her. Her no. name is Victoria. I don't judge Victoria. I love in Victoria. The if anything, I considered buying a vlogging camera <laughs> and then thought, that's too much. No. But so many times during this past journey that I've had with this situation, I've thought, that's too much. To find myself in the midst of it. Yeah. Later. Just later. Which brings us to our topics. Which brings us to our topics this week. Sam, but what are you going to talk I'm about? I'm going to talk about the Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste? The Mary Celeste. Is it a woman or is it a boat? It is a boat. A boat. I thought maybe <laughs> it was the lady name, but it has the in front of it. The Mary um, Celeste. A woman named Mary Celeste, but she's a legend. No, she's What if you were just like, there's like four Mary Celeste on Wikipedia. <laughs> this is the one I'm going to talk about. That'd be amazing. Um, I'm going to talk about Shane Gillis. Oh, yeah. Because I'm, I've been ill, but now I've, I'm in that portion of being sick where I'm really frustrated and Perfect. ready to kind of tackle some rage. And what a better, what better way to do that than through him? Yeah. I have like antacid, like, uh, not antacid. I have like heartburn right now. No. And it's bothering me, but it does feel like the frustration and physical discomfort is putting me in a really great place to talk about this. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to say PC culture a lot. In the oh, next, good. So everyone's going to get twitchy and oh, good. angry. Um, but we're we're gonna go there. We're doing it. Should we talk about a boat first? I want to talk about a boat first, please. <laughs> really, I think we should talk about the boat second. But it's it's your week, so surprise. Jokes on you. We're talking about the boat right now. We're gonna calm down from this boat talk with Shane Gillis. Yeah. So, uh, you guys, I am just feeling history's mysteries right now. Yum. Just like the vastness of the universe. Like, can we really know anything? No. <laughs> That's where I'm at. We covered that on episode four. Uh, amen. So last time we talked, or a a few weeks ago, I told you about D.B. Cooper, and today I'm coming at you with the Mary Celeste. I was going to do the Lindbergh kidnapping, but then I didn't really want to talk about a dead baby. Maybe another day, but just not today. Oh yeah, you did say that you were thinking about doing that, and I was like, good luck. That's, I want to hear about it. It's It's a very interesting topic, but I like, like, you think about it, and then you're like, oh, this does end with a dead baby. Oh, I got no problem with dead babies. I mean, in in in, in, in I mean, this podcast is talking no, about many dead babies. No, I mean, in reality, don't get it, don't get it twisted. <laughs> I in reality, it's bad, but joking about it, it's fine. Can I tell a quick story? Yeah, so quick. Tell me. Um, I was doing improv once at a Best Western. In, I remember this. in Central Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah, you know this story. Um, so again, set the stage. Improv at a Best Western in Central Massachusetts. Um, to a group we had been hired to perform for. So nobody was interested in seeing us. They left all the TVs on in the hotel restaurant where we were performing. With volume? Yeah. They were all on and they were a low dim volume. So it was like half us, half like the TBS version of 51st Dates or something. (laughs) Um, But we played, I think, I don't know, like Marshmallow, which is when you do something like do you, like tackle like a really serious topic in a silly way but every time you laugh they put a marshmallow in your mouth and you got to keep going with the scene i think everybody's seen improv at this point right yeah everybody lives in la or has visited um everybody has a friend <laughs> in an improv troupe so i remember it was just going so poorly and um we were like all right audience like what's the worst thing you can think of and somebody in the back was like baby funeral and the whole crowd was like 
oh, like they were so mad. And our coach at the time, I'll never forget this. Um, our coach was just like so fed up with this crowd. <laughs> she was like, no, we're going to do it. And we did it. We did it for like eight minutes. And eight minutes on baby funerals. That's why I think that I have the integrity and chutzpah that I have now, like as an adult, uh-huh. because I did that. Like you did that. I, if you, there's nothing in this world that's going to prepare you for real life like doing that. That's real. Yeah. Improv, man. Yeah, to so, people who don't want it. To people who are not interested. At a hotel with the TVs on. That, nothing builds character in the same way. Well, maybe, that's, that's all I had to say about dead babies. Maybe we'll take on the Lindbergh baby and his death some other week. Yeah, we'll find a sassy spin on it. <laughs> but um, for now we're It's been about like a hundred years. How long has it, it been? A long time. Yeah, it's fine. I think it's fine. Um, so, but let's get back to this boat. What is the Mary Celeste? It's a boat. The Mary Celeste is a very famous, perhaps the most famous, ghost ship. (gasps) What? And a ghost ship is a vessel with no living crew aboard that's found on the ocean. So um, it may be just like um, folklore or fiction, such as the Flying Dutchman. But if a real, like, derelict ship is found adrift with its crew missing or dead, that is a ghost ship. And it's real. Um, spoiler alert, that is what the Mary Celeste is. Originally, I was just going to talk about, like, a bunch of spooky ghost ships, but then the entire internet, every time I would Google, like, ghost ship, it would be like, do you mean the Mary Celeste? And I was like, maybe I do mean the Mary Celeste. (laughs) At this point, I suppose I do. (laughs) Let's get it. So here we go. The Mary Celeste was an American merchant ship built in 1861 and originally christened the Amazon. As the Amazon, it was in a bunch of boat crashes, like seemingly too many boat crashes to be a good boat. Until it was... No. No. It was like, I was reading through because it was like time before the Mary Celeste. And I'm reading through and I'm like, so like every time it went out, it just crashed. Uh, So it it sounds like me. Amen. It's like every time it leaves the door, it's just just a nightmare. Um, But so it was ultimately marked as a derelict ship and sold to new owners in 1867. It was then rebuilt and rechristened as the Mary Celeste in December 1868. So then it changes ownership a few more times, it gets a few more rebuilds, and it ends up with a new captain, Benjamin Spooner Briggs. Mm. Uh, Benjamin Briggs was born in Wareham, Massachusetts. What? Are you kidding me? A hometown gent. Wait, that's where we vacation every year. (laughs) There you go. I'm serious. We summer there. We really do. We, and, and we're also rich enough to summer someplace. We summer there. <laughs> We've rented that moderately priced Airbnb like four years in a row. No, that's very point. true. We do summer that's in the Wareham. way it is. So um, he was born in Wareham, uh, one of five sons of sea captain Nathan Briggs. Uh, and in 1862, he married his cousin. It was fine back then. Sarah Elizabeth Cobb. Uh, they had two children, one son named Arthur in 1865, and a daughter, Sophia Matilda, in 1870. Cute. I'm telling you about the family for a reason, unfortunately. Oh, so, they all die? Are they in, all gonna die? In October of 1872. They all get murdered? Benjamin takes command <laughs> of the Mary Celeste for, his, for her first voyage, following like her extensive, weird period of being rebuilt and resold to people, which was supposed to go from New York to Genoa in Italy, 
Uh, he arranged for his wife and infant daughter to accompany him while his school-aged son was left at home with his grandmother. I feel like the son makes it out pretty well in this situation, maybe. I mean, is it good to be an orphan at seven? <laughs> Would you consider that a positive ending? Well, I mean, <laughs> orphan over dead, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's fair. Fair or- enough. Orphan over ghost shipped, <laughs> which is what I assume happens to them. Sure does. So, um, Briggs is also the man to bring together the rest of the crew who would take this fateful journey. Uh, the first mate, Albert C. Richardson, had sailed under Briggs before. Second mate, Andrew Gilling, was about 25. He was Danish in origin. Uh, the steward was a newly married man. His name was Edward William Head. And then the four general seamen were all Germans, which is fun. Um, and I'm going to try to say their names, but, uh, we'll see. The brothers Volkert and Baz Lorenzen. Arian Martins, and Gottlieb Gutschall. Right. You know. <laughs> One of them directed Moulin Rouge. One of them did. Uh, Baz Lorenzen. Um, <laughs> love his work. <laughs> so a later testimonial described this group as, a, as peaceable and first-class sailors. And in a letter to his mother shortly before the voyage, Briggs declared himself eminently satisfied with the ship and crew. Oh, you shouldn't say that. I know. You should never say that. Sarah Briggs informed her mother that the crew appeared to be quite capable if they continue as they have begun. Again, very ominous thing to write to your mother. (laughs) As long as they continue to be gentlemen, we shall get to Italy with no problem. Which is like the history equivalent of this should be fine. Yeah, exactly. I think this is fine. Yeah. I have a great feeling about this. Are they not gentlemen? Did they like steal from them or something? Like, what I'm so, you're gonna say. I'm gonna say the whole story. You wrote it out. You're gonna do it. I want to know. I guess I just want to know. know so bad. So the way that the way that this podcast works is that right. I'm gonna tell you the whole story, and it will answer right. No, I didn't know narrative. you were maybe gonna switch it up and say, <laughs> kind of blue ball the audience a little bit, keep it fresh. Yeah, I'm them, fine as long as you're out. gonna not. You're gonna tell me. I will. You tell don't you. even have to tell them. I'll tell you privately after. what happens with the ghost ship. I want to know. <laughs> Please tell me. So on Tuesday morning, November 5th, uh, the Mary Celeste leaves Pier 50 with Briggs, his wife and daughter, the seven crew members, and their cargo, which is 1,701 barrels of poisonous denatured alcohol, uh, and they go to New York Harbor. The weather is uncertain, so they just, like, wait for a few days. They're anchored off Staten Island, and Sarah um, uses the delay to send one final letter to her mother-in-law, in which she wrote, Tell Arthur, which is her son... I make great dependence on the letters I shall receive from him and will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage, which he would be pleased to hear. Oh, Sad. On November 7th, the weather is eased and the Mary Celeste leaves the harbor and goes out into the Atlantic towards Italy. The crew of the Mary Celeste is never seen again. No. They're gone. They evaporate. They evaporate, much like denatured alcohol could. Um... That's true. It's an alcohol joke for you guys. <laughs> it's a fermentation joke for you, Rose. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. So on December 4th, almost a month after the crew of the Mary Celeste leaves New York, another ship, the, I do not know how to pronounce this, Di Gratia, I think? D-E-I-G-R-A-T-I-A. Oh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. The Di Gratia uh, spots a vessel about six miles ahead of them. Uh, or uh, about six miles away, heading unsteadily towards them in the middle of the ocean. Um, the ship's erratic movements and the odd set of her sails lead the captain of the Digratia, David Morehouse, to suspect that something is wrong. 
So as the vessels draw close, um, he sends two of his men, or they the vessels draw close. He tries to signal to the boat. He receives no response. And he doesn't, like, see anybody on deck. So he sends two of his men over to investigate. And this is what they find. Number one, there is no one on the ship. <laughs> it is Wait. just an empty ship floating through the water. So the crew's clothing is still all neatly packed, like in their cubby holes. The rations remain on board. Um, but the single lifeboat and the entire crew are totally gone. Well, maybe they were, yeah, maybe they're on a lifeboat. So. But why didn't they bring their clothes or their rations? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, number two, a makeshift sounding rod, which is a device used for measuring the amount of water in the hold, uh, was found abandoned on deck. This implies they were concerned about the amount of water on the ship. Um, and there was water on, but not enough to be concerned about, like, the boat sinking. Like, it's pretty normal for there to be some water in the bottom of a boat. I guess. <laughs> so. I would be alarmed about any amount of water That's on fair. But you're not Captain Benjamin Briggs, Wareham's favorite son. No, I am not. So there you go. Um, number three, the alcohol is totally accounted for and untouched, although a few of the barrels are leaking. Uh, number four, the last entry on the ship's daily log, which was found in the mate's cabin, was dated 8 a.m. on November 25th, nine days before the ship is ultimately found. It recorded the Mary Celeste's position as um, off of Santa Maria Island in the Azores, which is nearly 400 nautical miles from the point where the Die Gratier encountered her. Wow. So we don't know when in that nine days the crew left, but it was probably right around then. And then it just like, sailed on its own those last 400 nautical miles which is wild in and and in briggs's cabin personal items are found scattered about including a sheathed sword under the bed but most of the ship's papers were missing together with the captain's navigational instruments so that's like really weird like most of the stuff is totally untouched some of the stuff is clearly missing but not all the stuff that you'd think they would take if they were leaving the boat and they didn't pack anything from a journey, immediately there are a ton of conspiracy theories about this because it is so weird. Like, as soon as Captain Morehouse and the crew of the Digrazie tows the ship to Gibraltar, people are like, what the fuck happened with the Mary Celeste? This is some suspicious stuff. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Captain Morehouse wants to collect a reward for bringing the ship in. Uh, because he is entitled to a reward for bringing the ship in. So he's like, can I have it? Um, but the company that's going to have to pay out the reward is like, foul play. Captain Morehouse and Captain Briggs were best friends. This is insurance fraud. Um, they basically accuse them of like planning this together. Oh, got it. So that like they would help. Like they pull him on board. Yeah, they would help the crew of and like, the oh my Mary Celeste go away. It's, it's empty. And then they bring the thing back. Um, now Captain Morehouse and Captain Briggs probably had met, um, because they were both like pretty well-respected captains who sailed a similar, like, flight path is not the right word. Sail path. Yeah. Route. A similar route. There you go. The route of the sea. The route of the sea. That's how you and I met. Exactly like that. We were two sea captains. Two <laughs> well-respected sea captains. From where in Massachusetts. From where in Massachusetts. Um, so they had probably met. But, um, and there's, like, a rumor, like, 
part of the folk legend is that like they had dinner the night before. Lovers. Um, I would love that. I would love that too. They had dinner the night before um, the Mary Celeste left. That's not true. And it seems like they were not like friends and certainly not close enough to come up with a complicated insurance scheme. Which I think you need to be like really good friends or lovers right. to come up with an idea like that. Preferably lovers. Preferably lovers. Who else do you trust to commit insurance fraud but someone who knows your body intimately? <laughs> um, but because the very like foundations of the Mary Celeste start with this suspicious tone, the tone continues. So much so that Sir Arthur, Con- Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who right, wrote the Sherlock Holmes books, um, uses the Mary Celeste as the basics for one of his short stories, which is called, and it's a crazy title, J. Habakkuk Jepson's Statement. What? Which is like um, a fictionalized account of someone who had like found found a ghost ship. And he mistakenly calls the ship the Marie Celeste in the story. Um, and it's not clear if like he was just wrong or if he was like... <laughs> If he was, like, trying to be, like, this isn't the real Mary Celeste, it's just inspired by the story. But um, a lot of people thought he that was a true story. And they were like, can you believe the Marie Celeste? And people who really knew about it would be like, it's not even the fucking ship's name. I feel like maybe his, ed- his editor was like, isn't it? That doesn't sound right. Is it the Mary Celeste? And he's like, um, no. No, I'm no it sure. isn't. I'm right. I'm actually pretty. I'm positive. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's the Marie That sounds like him. That sounds a lot like Sir Art. But what happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste? I need you to tell me. Here are the most popular theories. Okay. Number one, foul play. Obviously the funnest option. Um, So some of the wildest theories are, um, again, the idea that Captain Morehouse and Captain Briggs were friends or lovers who worked together to do this insurance fraud. Or another idea... The Captain Morehouse murdered everyone aboard the Mary Celeste. Oh, yeah. So, like, he went on, killed everybody, ocean burial, and then brings the ship back and is like, it's weird. I don't know. Um, It does not seem that that is true. (laughs) Um, It's, like, very random. Like, if you do the math of, like, how the ships caught up to each other, it's very random. It would have been really hard to plan them running into each other in the ocean. And this man does not seem like a murderer. Well, <laughs> I not does not seem. I don't know. Um, another um, suggestion is an attack by pirates who were active off the coast of Morocco in the 1870s. Um, however, pirates would have looted the ship, and they didn't. They do do that. <laughs> they tend that would have been a bummer if you go onto a ship, you kill everyone aboard, and then you're like, you know what? I'm actually tired. I'm not into it anymore. I'm just not feeling it today. It only takes the fun out of it. That's like when we hang out intending to record the podcast but then we just end up hanging out and we don't record the podcast that's like that but with murder they're like the raping and pillaging i think is honestly enough like i don't even need like it would be gluttonous yeah i don't take all the alcohol i don't even need the incredibly valuable denatured alcohol uh i'm actually good um another theory is some kind of mutiny by the crew uh that maybe they were fed up with briggs and they kicked him off the ship but they also kicked themselves off the ship that doesn't make any sense. Again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And also, like, somebody would have seen one of those crew members again. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't have also disappeared forever. Um, in 1925, here's a good one. Historian John Gilbert Lockhart surmised that Briggs, in a fit of religious mania, had slaughtered everyone on board and then killed himself. Um, 
And then in a later book, he uh, Lockhart apologized and withdrew this theory because Briggs's family was so like, what? Oh, I like that one. That's my favorite one so That's far. A, he wasn't a very religious man, Captain Briggs, but like, was he that religious? I, uh-huh. Wouldn't there have been blood on the ship? I don't know. I don't know. It's the thing about an ocean burial. There you go. Well, if he murdered them all. You pull them overboard, you murder them in the water. You murder them in the water. As you're drowning. I love that. It's very complicated. Yeah. But it could. It's a bold move, but perhaps a a move he was willing to play. (laughs) For God. Yeah. What is is a love of Jesus but a bold move? I would agree. Amen. I think he would too. Um, Here's another theory that I just thought of that was not on any of the conspiracy pages that I read, but why not? Mermaids. Oh, yeah. Mermaids. Bring that in. Or let's take this up a notch, Greek style, sirens. Sirens. A siren song. I love that. And then maybe like... One by one, the men just throw themselves off the boats. Yep. Sarah Briggs trying to stop everyone, but she's not strong enough. But then she's like, that sounds pretty hot. Yeah, or Sarah Briggs, bisexual icon. Sarah Briggs is a mermaid. Ooh. Planted the idea in Briggs's head. We have to bring all this alcohol to Italy for no reason, so I can reunite with reunite her family. with my mer sisters. Yes, she and the daughter, because the daughter also has the blood of the mermaid. Descend her into the mer people kingdom, but the son couldn't have turned into a mermaid. So she left him. So she left him for because safety. She, she wouldn't have wanted him to die. But she like was like a time thing. Like time was running out. Like <laughs> yeah. her fins were gonna come back. So she jettisons the crew. Yep. So to speak. I love this. This is the only theory that makes this sense. This is what happened. I'm not going to read the rest of the article. This is what <laughs> happened. I agree. No, let's, for fun, let's read the rest Just of it. Just for fun, we'll read the rest of it. The rest of the theories are not as fun because they're not murder. Uh, number two, temporary lifeboating. So another popular theory is that something a little weird is going on on the ship. Um, maybe the amount of water on board that they were clearly a little bit nervous about. Or some people think maybe like there were fumes from the alcohol that were making people go a little bit loopy. But no matter what they go, okay, we'll just temporarily go on the lifeboat until the problem on the ship resolves itself. And then we'll get back on the ship. And then some kind of like something horrible happens. The lifeboat goes off on its own and they all die at sea. Um, that would kind of make sense because it would make sense that they didn't bring any rations because they thought they'd only be out there for like a couple hours, but that the captain brought his navigational tools because maybe he was like, I might have to navigate. Okay. So that kind of makes sense. I guess so. Is that a thing people did? Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, you know, there's that. But again, like everyone says like, it was not a weird amount of water that was on board. So if they, if they wouldn't have felt the need to probably get off the boat it's weird that they did that like mass hysteria yeah something weird like that uh number three natural phenomenon so um commentators generally agree that to like take such a course of action as abandoning a ship that it is apparently sound and seaworthy um some something really alarming must have been happening and one theory is that maybe it was a severe water spout (laughs) <laughs> like the and that can happen on the ocean is like there's a storm of some sort and there's like this giant like it looks like a water tornado which God, i guess is just my a nightmare i guess that's just a hurricane but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about like a straight a up water and down, tornado a water tornado a water column a water spout yes that sounds awful yeah so some people thought maybe that happened um and like 
it really fucked up the ship and they were like, oh, holy shit. And they just got off. Another theory is a sea quake or underwater earthquake. Whoa. Um, it might have caused sufficient turbulence to damage parts of the Mary Celeste's cargo, which again would like then release some noxious fumes that might have made everybody freak out and or they might have been worried that it was going to explode. So they got off the ship as fast as possible and then it just never exploded, which is, you know, a real cocktease, but... And then they, like, never go back on the ship or, like, the thing Yeah, they, then the rope gets detached and they're like, oh, shit. It's a combination of bad stuff. Yeah. Got it. So that's an idea. And then um, pump congestion is the final idea. So this was proposed semi-recently, like, in the last 10 years or so by the Smithsonian. You know, the Smithsonian. Yeah. By the Smithsonian channels. The... I'm sorry. I just thought, for no reason at all, the post Malonian, and it's a whole Smithsonian post dedicated to the life and work of Post Malone. I don't know why I thought that. I'm I sorry. Would love that I him. want you to continue. I don't want to explore that any further. By the Smithsonian channels, uh, the true story of the Mary Celeste. Um, and it's a theory that they were there was a pump on board, and for a while the Mary Celeste had been used to transport coal, um, which is known for its dust, and that maybe the pump got congested with all this old coal dust, and then it wasn't pumping properly. So then they were like, oh no, the water's not being pumped up out, like maybe the ship's gonna get fucked up. Um, and there was like part of a pump kind of disassembled on the ship, so they were maybe trying to like fix it. So that's like a pretty reasonable thing. But again, like it's such an extreme action to take to like abandon ship. Yeah. You need to be like, you need, you need to feel like you're imminently going to die if you abandon your seemingly fine, fully provisioned ship, you know? Yeah. Because if it could go the extra nine days to get to that other thing. Yeah. Maybe they didn't know, but. Yeah. So it's hard. So like any of these are possible. But again, the thing about a history's mystery we will never know the true answer. We will never know what happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste, which is incredibly frustrating to me. But I would just like to take a minute and pour one out for poor little Arthur Briggs. Aww. Who went to go stay with his grandmother, and then his family never came back, and were just gone. That must have been really hard for that poor little guy. Yeah, that sucks. And he, he seemed to have lived, I tried to like see if anyone had ever like looked into what Arthur Briggs did. He seemed to have lived like a perfectly good life. He got married. Like it seemed like he was fine, but God, that sucks. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. That's a really big bummer. Especially again, the uncertainty of the Mary Celeste. Like what happened? What were those people thinking? Like what was going on in their final moments? How long did they live on that little dinghy and did they eat each other? And did they even make it to the dinghy or did something weirder happen? Did they get abducted by aliens? Was his mother secretly a siren? Did she come to him in the ocean to explain what she had done mm. when he was an adult? Um, I encourage you guys, if you're ever looking for like, to just be like wigged out by something, Google ghost ships. Cause there's a lot of them that like genuinely are like, and we never will know. For some reason, when you say ghost ships, I was thinking, oh, it's a ship with ghosts on it, or it's a ship made out of ghosts, meaning like it's that a spectral. SpongeBob flying yes. Dutchman spectral ship. And then you started explaining something totally reasonable, and I was like, oh, right, yeah, no, that. It's that. It's one of those. Could be that. That's fine. There's a lot of funner ghost ship stories, but those aren't real ships. And the thing about the Mary Celeste is like, it's 100% real. So it's fucking weird. Oh, I have no doubt. 
It's weird. That's that was awesome though. Wow, spooky. A little bit spooky. Welcome to welcome to fall. It's fall. It's fall time. It's fall time. But let's talk about something equally spooky. Um, and that is <laughs> men. Men. Men our age. No, that's like comedians. Yeah, male comedians. Wow. So Al- Allison, with that seamless segue, take it away. Am I ready for this? <laughs> Am I, I ready so. for this? There's so many ways I could talk about this wrong, but I don't. Let's just figure it out together. Those are some of my favorite episodes where the two of us are just like, here's what I'm feeling. Let's think about it. Um, and not, God knows neither of us are like sociologists. No. Or people of color. No. So like we can We have only... an extremely limited perspective on yeah. the situation, um, which is a good thing to bring up. So yeah, we don't even fully understand how fucked up all of this is. Um, good place to start. <sighs> where do we begin? For anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, let's start with, like, who is this man? Sorry to this man. Something happened in our nation that made me want to walk into the ocean, <laughs> like, every other week. Yeah, it's, it's The only not way I can deal with it is by talking about it with all of you. So, this, this one, not the event itself that I'm going to talk about, but the conversation that we're going to have to inevitably have, gets under my skin in such a huge and infuriating way And I'm trying, I'm going to try to articulate why that is. We'll see if we get there. But anytime anyone talks about, let's get some buzzwords in here. PC culture, cancel culture, and mainly those two. No one can take a joke. Yeah, no one can take a joke. I'm allowed to have an opinion. All of that nonsense gets me angrier than any other political thing. Like most political things, I just like have to zone out and I'm just like, you know, like, if I don't feel like I have an obligation to stand up for something that is ethical or unethical, I just, like, I'm usually, like, I, you know, I don't want to get involved in this. But that yeah. particularly just makes me so angry. I really don't know why. Like, I'm really trying to figure out why, and I think maybe everyone can help me get there. But let's lay down some facts first. There aren't many of them, because this all happened in about a week. Yeah. So on September 12th of this year... SNL released a tweet welcoming three new cast members to its team. Mostly nobody cared. Mm -hmm. And then we all cared a lot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Those performers were Chloe Fineman, Bowen Yang, and Shane Gillis. A lot of people knew Bowen Yang because he works at SNL. Mm Mm-hmm. At, like, as a writer. Yeah, he's a writer. And he has a podcast Yeah, and he hosts Las Culturitas, which is awesome. Awesome? Awesome power. Like, Stan Awesome. Like, Stan (laughs) Awesome. It's a great podcast. Um, <laughs> Chloe Feynman and Shane Gillis are relatively unknown, and you know this for sure because neither of them are verified on Twitter. Like, Bo and Yang <laughs> is verified on Twitter, but neither of them are, so they're just dirt like the rest of us. Boom. But everyone was really excited at first just about Bo and Yang because he's well-known, he has a fan base already, and he's also the first East Asian cast member on SNL, which is awesome. Yeah. Until you think about the fact that it's 2019. It's fucking it crazy. It was great. <laughs> infuriating. But, you know... People were really excited about that, um, as they should be. Very quickly after the announcement from SNL, something bubbled up, shall mm. we say, from Shane Gillis's past. And by that I mean the Libcuck media went digging through decades of Gillis's work. Old, old tweets. To find something blatantly racist from 11 months ago. <laughs> So, yeah. Something that he posted publicly yep. on a podcast that he advertises in his Twitter bio. Yeah. 
So less than a year ago. Yeah. They really, they raked through his past. They just wanted to destroy him. You know, they were desperate to destroy him. Um, I'm not going to repeat what he said because it's disgusting and you can find it. Um, but I think, I think it's important to note this is that I really don't know how to put this because no kind of racist conduct or bigoted conduct is okay ever. But oftentimes, like there are levels of conduct and oftentimes things will blow up around a word or a perception or somebody making a joke trying to be like, oh, I'm putting on a character Mm -hmm. that's racist, but I'm not really. I'm just using it to kind of explore something. Mm -hmm. That's not, I'm not saying that's chill. It's not. But you can kind of see where they're Mm -hmm. trying to think that they're okay. Like you can kind of see their reasoning behind why this wouldn't be Mm -hmm. an uncool thing, but it's not cool. And so you got to like shut it down and be like, nope, that behavior is unacceptable. This was so not that. It really this was, was so, dumb. so beyond the pale of not only using racial slurs but talking in depth about racist ideology while using slurs. It was awful. Like it really was awful in a way that like <laughs> there's no gray area. Like there's no like people are so sensitive nowadays. Yeah. It's like him talking about something out like a racist ideology. Yeah. And how he believes it. It's banana. It's really bananas. And, and a horrible. You you might be literally about to say this, but like the insult to injury is that he was specifically saying racist things about East Asian people. Yeah, exactly. And we were all so excited that Bowen Yang was the first East Asian cast member. Yeah, and then a lot of sort of other tangential remarks that he had made were homophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bowen Yang's also like gay. Yeah. So not like gay. But, you know, <laughs> he's pretty similar to... He's pretty similar to gay. Homosexual. Which is how I identify, I think. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I'm pretty gay. Pretty similar to gentle to gay. Um, so, that's the situation. Yeah, this is simply a person saying something very racist with a good deal of enthusiasm. Yeah, with with no apology and really no joke. That oh, was no, thing. we'll get into the apology. Yeah. We're going to get into that. But, also but I mean, no in joke. the moment, it's not like... So true, there was no even hint a of a joke. Yeah, that was the thing that really caught me when I listened to it, is I was expecting it to be like a racist joke he told that didn't go over well. It was just them but kind of just, angrily talking about how they don't like of, Asian people. It was just them kind of like quoting South Park and t- being angry about... Yeah, Asian very people. much so. It was very, I was like, oh, this isn't like a joke that you thought was funny, but wasn't. Yeah, in a really, like, nearly aggressive, not nearly, it was a very aggressive way. Yeah, like, it was weird. It was, it, uh, yeah. So, what I'm trying to express is that you don't have to watch it, just know it was beyond the pale. Yeah. Given these circumstances. Um, so, obviously, because internet... People found this and spread it like wildfire, and subsequently there was a huge backlash towards SNL for hiring Gillis and a demand by some for his removal. Now, Shane responded on Twitter with a note that said this, and I will quote it. Um, Quote, I'm a comedian who pushes boundaries. I sometimes miss. If you go through my 10 years of comedy, most of it bad, you're going to find a lot of bad misses. I'm happy to apologize to anyone who's actually offended by anything I've said. My intention is never to hurt anyone, but I am trying to be the best comedian I can B. 
be, and sometimes that requires risks. So basically, that's the best example of a non-apology in the universe. (laughs) I have like five different problems with that apology. Yeah, no, let's... We break down a couple. Let's break yeah, down can a we couple. Break of down them. that apology. So, I'm a comedian who pushes boundaries. You're barely a comedian, and you weren't telling a joke. Let's go back to the fact that you're not verified on Twitter. <laughs> so that he sounds like a fucking toddler. First yeah. of all, he's allowed. He's been allowed to get through his whole fucking life speaking like this and rise to some kind of prominence, acting this way. Not even like even if he wasn't a racist fuck. Like this is the way he puts sentences together. Yeah. And he's being put on some kind of pedestal and given professional accolades. That's a big problem for me. Um, and then the obvious thing of, like, you can't do the, like, I'm sorry if somebody was offended. Yeah, like, we do don't they need, need to... to register with you? Like, hi, I was actually offended. And you have to be like, oh, well, now that my... I'll put you in the file. Yeah, you'll go in the file of yep. really offended. The other one that bothered me, that just rubbed me the wrong way, is he was, like, in my 10 years of comedy, again, this was last year, he was making it sound like... <laughs> He was making it sound like... It's like, yeah, if you go through the whole decade of comedy, you might find something from eight months ago that was bad. Yeah. And it's like, what? (laughs) And then he was like, there have been, you know, most of it bad. And then I was like, well, then you're not a good comedian. Yeah, if most of your comedy is bad. If you confidently are saying most of your comedy is bad, you either A, aren't a good comedian, or B, are just trying to engender sympathy for yourself during this apology so people will say to you, like, Shane, you're very funny. Like, yeah. don't say that most of your stuff has been bad. Yeah, oftentimes white men can just be like, I'm just such a dumb, dumb idiot, I guess. Well, I don't know. I'm just a com- big bear comedian. Like, I'm just like a, you know. I'm just a silly little boy. I'm a silly little boy. And it's like, you're not a boy. You're a man. <laughs> yeah. You have. And if you tell me you've been mostly unfunny for the past yeah. 10 and, years. In the words of Broad City, you're not a baby. You're a man. <laughs> um, let's, we got to move on because there's more upsetting things uh. that we have to talk about. Uh. So, um, ultimately he was fired. We won't even go through the whole rigmarole. He was fired. He was fired. SNL released a statement. You were? I was. I thought they were going to Jenny Slate him where he's technically a cast member, but he never appears after. Because do you remember she swore live on air by accident? And then she just kind of like, they didn't fire her, but she just kind of never appeared in another sketch. And then they let her go at the end of the season. She had that Marcel the Shell money. She's fine. She's fine now. She's seen Chris Evans' penis. I'd give every cent I have. Yeah, I really would. And it's not that much. And a good amount of debt, too, on top of that. (laughs) Um, Because I don't have that much money. But But yeah, I genuinely thought that they would just not fire him, but just put him in the minimum amount of sketches. No, yeah, I thought that the the traction it was getting, I assumed they would. But, you know, I probably could have done either. So they said, after talking with Shane Gillis, we have decided that he will not be joining SNL. We want SNL to have a variety of voices and points of view within the show. And we hired Shane on the strength of his talent as a comedian and his impressive audition for SNL. Don't, uh, like, excuse, don't, uh, whatever, I'm going to keep reading. We were not aware of his prior remarks that have surfaced over the past few days. The language he used is offensive, hurtful, and unacceptable. We are sorry that we did not see these clips earlier and that our vetting process was not up to our standard. So this is confusing to me because it's like you had to have known if you looked at any of Gillis's stuff, that he was a full bro moron. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter if you didn't see that. Yeah. Any of his, I'm not going to call it comedy, any of whatever he puts on the internet, it's so bro mm-hmm. and aggressive 
you gotta know that there's a chance that that's out there. And if they have that aesthetic already, you dig a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, you just do. In addition to that, like, podcast stuff, um, Good Good Comedy co-owner Kate Banford was quoted in Vulture as saying, Good Good Comedy Theater stopped working with him in the past few years because of racist, homophobic, and sexist things he said on and off stage. So he was fired from jobs for being shitty. Yeah. In general. So one of two things happened. SNL did absolutely no research on this at all. Or they were totally fine with it and were hoping to appeal to a conservative audience. Mm -hmm. Now the third thing that I thought of that I don't know if people are talking about. Maybe they are talking. I'm sure they're talking about it. Twitter, Twitter's covered all of it. Um, is that maybe they knew that this would happen. That his, he would be yes. like, and they wanted the cloud of being like, we fired him. They wanted, I think more just the publicity. Interesting. I, like they knew it would cause a fuss. And like, yeah, they'd get to fire him. Mm-hmm. But more, like nobody's talking about SNL otherwise. Yeah. So... I'm, I almost think it's that. Interesting. I almost think it's that. Yeah, I mean, if The Bachelor can do it. Yeah. So can they. Amen. So, Shane takes out his pen, and he makes another statement, and he says, it feels ridiculous for comedians to be making serious public statements, but here we are. I'm a comedian who is funny enough to get on SNL. That can't be taken away. Of course, I want an opportunity to prove myself at SNL, but I understand... It would be too much of a distraction. I respect the decision they made. I'm honestly grateful for the opportunity. I was always a mad TV guy anyways. The thing that makes me really fucking livid about this is the first line. And I I know that there's other stuff that's more upsetting, but the first line really makes me angry because he says, it feels ridiculous for comics to have to speak seriously, but here we are. And this makes me so angry because it goes back to the, I'm just a silly little baby, (laughs) like kind of attitude that he's allowed to have. Because it, it sounds like he's saying, this is so crazy how the world has gotten because of PC culture that I, a milk toast white bro, have to apologize for something deeply offensive that I recently said on a public forum. Yeah. Like, the entitlement oozing out of that precursor drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. That drives me crazy more than anything. What's your least favorite part about it? My least favorite part <laughs> is the Mad TV comment at the end. Because you're like, I love Mad TV and he's ruining it. No, because, <laughs> because A, obviously Mad TV is not as good as, as no, SNL. it's never been that good. But B, it's, it to me, it's, that's like also that shitty behavior. Like, I didn't really want it anyways. Like, you took SNL from me, but I'm a Mad TV guy. Like, oh, actually, I don't care that you took away this thing I wanted. It's so much like a girl, like, saying no thank you to a guy at a bar and him being like, well, you're fucking fat anyways. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's that attitude of, like, oh, well, I didn't want you anyway. Which ties into, I would just like to say, toxic masculinity because you can't genuinely show emotion. Like, if he had said... Like, he fucking sucks. No matter what he said, he fucking sucks. (laughs) He wasn't going to say anything super emotionally lit. But if he had said, like, hey, like... I am, I was a comedian funny enough to get on SNL and you can't take that away from me. I am really sad this isn't working out for me because I love SNL, but I get why they're doing it, period. And I gotta own my shit. Yeah, like clearly I have some learning to do. Yeah. This, I'm really heartbroken here, but I get it. Yeah. Bye for now, folks. I would respect that more. He still fucking sucks. Yeah. But I would be like... Yeah, you should. This is the consequence That's for your the kind action. of standard apology. You're feeling the consequences. You're feeling an emotional reaction to the consequences of yep. what you've done. 
that's what you should do when you do something wrong is that you there you should face mm-hmm. the consequences. So Absolutely. great. Thumbs up. This is just him being like, I didn't really want to be on SNL yeah. anyway. I didn't even think about that. So like, thank oh, you for cool. bringing that nuance into it. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, so why are we talking about this, Sam? Just because we like to be mad. We do. Lo- we love it. No, I hate it. <laughs> you hate it. I, I, I've, I've hated it as I've a- more as I've aged. When I was young and spry and full of hope, I would get in rage spirals that Three felt years good. ago. But yeah, in 2015, I was a whole different woman with yeah. all types of energy. Weren't we all? Um, but why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because we need to talk about Usually when people say we need to talk about PC culture, it's like somebody writing in the New York Times and they're shit. They're shit. Yeah. They're shitty people who don't deserve to be in the New York Times. They're like, why can't I say the N-word? Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to go there, Richard, or whatever your name may be. Um, We, as young people who matter, who are going to be making choices, need to talk about what this fucking means. Mm -hmm. And I also think that... We as two white girls need to talk about this because it's our friends and family, mm-hmm. not maybe our friends so much, but it's our families, our communities, the people who look like us who are pushing this this shitty deflective yeah. attitude. And we do need to be the sort of harbingers of truth in this situation and say, no, this yeah. isn't a re- this isn't a thing. This isn't what's ruining our country. Our country is fractured for so many different reasons. And you know what? PC culture, mm-hmm. cancel culture is just not it. Yeah. And we really need to reckon with that. And we need to reckon with so much. But let's start here because we only have, what well, we have an hour. <laughs> um, so I went through and thought about if I were the worst, what would I think <laughs> in response to this situation? We're going to work through them together. Yeah. The first one is... Humor is supposed to be edgy. PC culture is ruining comedy. Now, I can't stand this mostly because my biggest pet peeve is men who think they're funnier than I am. And what I mean by that is a lot of men think they're funny, but sometimes in a conversation, I'll pick up just so slightly that a man thinks that he's funnier than me. And it's almost never true. It's been true like four times. Just because we don't laugh doesn't mean we're all humorless cunts. And I know that that's what you prefer to think. But comedy does require intelligence and sensitivity to shifting cultural perspectives. And by sensitivity, I don't actually mean like the fuzzy emotional warmth of sensitivity. I mean intelligent sensitivity to be able to keep your finger on the trigger of what people are responding to. Yeah. You need to be sensitive to the shifts in culture because that's what comedy is about is, is taking that and you know, putting it in a fractured mirror and giving it back to people in a way that they can relate to in a new, new and interesting way. Yeah. And the world is constantly changing. Like it's not like the same thing that was funny 20 years ago, isn't going to be funny in the same way necessarily. Again, not because we're all just humorless cunts, but because it's a different world and Mm -hmm. we have a different shared sense of that world. Yeah. Well, like, and even like, just to talk about something easy, like 20 years ago, a Donald Trump joke would have been very funny in a way it wouldn't be anymore. Yeah. Not because we all think the joke is racist, but because the context of Donald Trump has changed a lot in those 20 years. It's a different context. It's a different context. And you as a comedian, your job, and it is a job, is to to get that and to be smart. 
And if you were if you were telling the same Donald Trump jokes this year that you were telling twenty years ago, we would all be like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Why would you be referencing The Apprentice right now?" And there are people who are talking in hysterical ways about things like race, things like immigration, things like government policies, things that are not funny, but people in those communities and people who are actually sensitive to what that means for people, you know, like, can say things that are really, really funny and also really, really intelligent. Like, it's not about the subject matter. It's about your intelligence. Yeah. Really, at the end of the day. So, like, sorry you're not that smart. I, I don't know what to say to you. Um, what's the next one? If you were the worst, what would you, what would you say in response? Oh, Oh, why are we digging through people's past just to find stuff to cancel them for? It was less than a year. Why are we doing this, Sam? It was less than a year. That's a good point. I, (laughs) I see a pathway to this when it was like 10 years ago when they were 16 and now they're 26. I see a pathway. You know what I mean? It's like, I said stuff. I, I, I like to think I've never been blatantly racist, but I certainly like... Go through Sam's Twitter, everyone. <laughs> you can. There's um, not that much on there. There's not a ton on there. Um, but like, I certainly think about like things that I said when I was 16 because it was in the culture and I was stupid and I'm like, lol, Sam, like you didn't understand what that meant. Like... Yeah, I used to say like the R word when I was a child totally inappropriate, not okay just because everyone else was doing it. I feel badly that I did it. And when I think about it, it makes me feel shitty. And if it were to come up that I tweeted about that sometime, which I don't think I did, but maybe I did. Who knows? um, I would be held accountable for that. Yeah. Because it was a shitty thing that I did. And you would say, hey, this was a really shitty fucking thing that I did. I'm sorry about that. And you wouldn't say like, sometimes I need to push boundaries. Sometimes I, as a 14-year-old comedian on Facebook... Need to push boundaries. But again, um, Shane Gillis did not uh, say all that when he was 14. Nope. He said it this this year. He was just the same grown man that we were discussing at the time. Yeah. So so I see a pathway to that argument, but not in this case. Yeah. And even then with the argument, I'm like, well, not always though. And then also the nature of the internet is that anyone can see it. So even if it was 10 years ago, if you have 5 million people who have access to the same thing somebody's going to find, like, everyone's going to find every aspect of it. And the saucy, controversial bits are going to float to the top. They just are. Yeah. It's not about, like, the lib cucks going after it. But even if it is, it's like, if you have shit out there, it's going to float to the top. You have to know that by now. And you know what I mean? And then also, if you know that it's about to be announced that you're going on fucking SNL, go through your old tweets and fucking delete the bad ones. Yeah, Jesus. Like, just Do the- that. I've done the audacity. that. audacity. Yeah. I've done that, and I'm not going on SNL. <laughs> I went through all my tweets when we got, like, our 10th podcast yeah. listener, there, because I was like, well, we're about to take off. I did that with all my Facebook photos from middle school, just because I was embarrassed. Yeah, I was, yeah, there's a lot in there. There's a lot. There's a not lot. for you, even. I'm, I'm talking about me. But. A lot for me are just marked as private now. No one can see them but yeah, me. Because I might want them someday. <laughs> it humbles me. <laughs> when we get really famous, I'll need those. We'll share them. Um, next one. Uh, it's free speech. How do we approach this one? This goes along the same lines as it's my opinion. Yes. I think those are very similarly it's my linked. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I this isn't like totally related, but it's related in my brain. So I just want to talk about it, and we can get rid of it or not. We no, can do whatever we want. I just want to share this with you. Give me it. That's what I want to talk to you about. So when the whole like Louis C.K. thing happened, right? Right. And it was like he took out his dick in front of a bunch of people that didn't want to see his dick, and people were like, "Well, isn't that his right?" 
<laughs> is, uh. No, it was more like, should we cancel him? Like, is that okay that we're like ruining a man's career? Like, should we be giving him a second chance, right? And I read something somewhere. I wish I remembered what who said this, but it's someone smarter than me. And they were like, people I think should give Louis C.K. a second chance. Like his mom, his good friends. Yep. Like people who are close to him. People who don't need to give Louis C.K. a second chance. Me. Like, yeah. comedy clubs who don't want to book him. Shows that do not want to book him anymore. Absolutely true. I don't know. It's just like, you have the right to do whatever you want to do. You have the right to say whatever you want to say. You do not have the right to not face the consequences for it because you said it. Yeah, this is actually related to the point after this. Oh, fine. Perfectly. Which is, how is it fair to ruin someone's life for something they said 10 years ago? And the thing about that is, we're not ruining anyone's life. Yeah. We didn't ruin Louis C.K.'s life. No. Nope. We didn't cancel his life. Nope. And, and you're right. Like, his mom and, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. His mom might be dead. But, um, But no, like, the people who are close to him in his life. Yeah, of course. But you don't get, like, sometimes you don't get a second chance professionally. And the thing about being a celebrity, when we're talking about celebrities, part of celebrity is your public image. Yeah. And that's part of the deal. Like, you don't, like... Just like anything else that has to do with public image, like, if you are, I don't know, a donut seller and you stop selling donuts, like, you don't get to be a donut seller anymore. If you're a celebrity and you don't maintain the public image that catapulted you into celebrity, you lose it. Yeah. It's not a guarantee. Like, it's not fair to act like you've stripped them of their livelihood. Mm -hmm. Now, a government agency going after somebody... In a, in a way that, like... Would lead them to jail. Would lead them to jail. Yeah. That is ruining somebody's life. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, we're all talking... Maybe not in the case of Shane Gillis. Like, I don't know how wealthy Shane Gillis is. But, like, in the case of Louis C.K. And even Kathy Griffin, they are both very wealthy. They're fine. They're going to be fine for the rest of their lives. Yep. Kathy Griffin was being threatened with jail time. Yeah. So, so that would have made a pretty big impact. Louis C.K., like, he's making a comeback now. He does tours now where he's, like, anti-PC culture, which I'm, like, great. Good for you. Um, But it's like, he could have lived his whole life quietly in his house, and he absolutely has enough money. Had a fulfilling personal life, done whatever he wanted to do. Would have been Done creative projects here and there. Yeah. He, he as a human being, hasn't been canceled. Stop acting like that is what people are doing. It just makes me so angry, because it's also like, I get to decide who I support. Like, it's like, why can't you give this person a second chance? It's like, because I, I don't have to. Because why would I have to? Like, if I'm going to invest my time into celebrity, which I often do. I love comedians. I love pop culture. I love watching TV. I love watching Netflix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why? If, if you if you inconvenience me even slightly, I might not watch it anymore. I haven't watched the new series of The Good Place just because I've been too busy at work. And that's like the best television of all the television. It's You should watch that. So, you like, should watch that. It's very good. So, like, why am I expected to give anyone anything Mm -hmm. in terms of that yeah in terms of celebrity in terms of keeping them afloat that's ridiculous yeah um and it's like if people are upset about it and therefore companies don't want to work with that guy that's a business decision for the company totally like if somebody at a hertz rent a car was like saying something violently racist they might go to him and be like hey you're fired because we don't want the people who (laughs) come to hertz rent a car Worried that they're going to have somebody be racist at them. Yeah. So you have to leave. And they'd probably be like, fair enough. 
Yeah, when when it's like this person's lost all their brand deals, it's like, yeah, it's a corporation. They thought they would lose the money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they took away their brand deal. There, there you go. Yeah, and I, it's just so important. Like, it, but it's like the liberal media didn't put a gun to the corporation's head and say like, you better take away all Louis C.K.'s money. Like, that's not what happened. Because yeah, because if if the yeah, the money is going to dictate that. If yeah. he could still be selling out stadiums, it wouldn't matter. He and so sell. often that still fucking happens. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. And that brings us on to, like, another thing that I wrote down. How are people supposed to learn if anytime anyone does something wrong, they get canceled? I don't think anytime anyone does something wrong, they do get canceled. I think when people are super racist, they get canceled. Totally true. And also, like, what we were talking about, being denied pop culture stardom is not being canceled. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between shutting someone's life down and just saying, no, you're not going to be mega famous. You know what I mean? And again, I think when people genuinely apologize, the majority of people are with them. Yeah. In a lot of ways. There's always going to be a group that's like, no, if you... It's over. It's over for you. But I would say, like, when people have come out with, like, genuine seeming apologies that aren't like, if you're really offended, we can talk, then usually the internet goes, okay. Let's get to our last point, our last bro point, which is, I feel like we can't say anything anymore. I hate this one. I hate this one. This is the, the worst one for me. I've had people say this to me in real life and I was like stuttering. I was at such a loss. And all I have to say to that is like, correct. You can't, you can't say anything anymore. That doesn't mean you can't say anything. It means you can't say anything Any that comes into your brain. thought that comes to your you head. You can't let like everything that comes into your thoughtless and insipid mind fall out of your maw. Like you, you're not allowed to do that. And people who have always been in power don't have the luxury to just spout out whatever pops in their head without thought in a public forum. And, like, you can be sure as shit that your racist uncle can still say whatever he wants at the Thanksgiving table for the rest of eternity, probably. Mm -hmm. And it's still gonna suck, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. So, like, at the very fucking least, when people say things on the record that are unacceptable, maybe there are some consequences. And if you have a problem with that, then fuck off. Come on. Like, how much are you willing to drag over that? Like, that is just so ridiculous. So yeah, you you cannot just say anything anymore. You have to be smart, and you have to be kind, or you run the risk of damaging damaging your future and your image. And that's on you, and you're a fucking adult, and you gotta deal with it. Because we all have to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. And that's the end. And, you know, like, the best way to describe this new process of taking people to task, and this is not my word, but it's accountability culture rather Mm -hmm. than cancel culture. And, like, you know why it wasn't happening in the past? It's not because we're a generation of self-righteous weenies, although we probably are. You and I are. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But that's, we're we're not talking about us. We're talking about everybody. Yeah. It's because, like, social media just became a thing. Like, we were young when it started happening. And it is a new world in which almost anything you say might actually be held up in a mirror to you. Yeah. You might actually have to, to turn around and see that reflected. And, you know, saying something privately 
is not the same thing as tweeting something in 2007. People have been thinking that those are the same. <laughs> They're not the same. And you're not afforded the same luxuries of free thought if you choose to spill all of your racist shower thoughts onto a public platform. Like, there are new rules, and they're basically the same as the old rules, but they actually mean something now because it's in print and you can't gaslight people of color and queer people into acting like you didn't mean it that way or you didn't say it like that or both. Like, f fuck off. No, it's over. You said it like that. You mean it like that. It's there in print. You can't act like that's not how you were thinking at that point, that point in time. And you will be held accountable for your actions. I can't breathe. And I just want to end, not with me ranting, I just want to end with an excerpt from a Boston Globe article by Renee Graham, who, if you don't know who she is, please look her up. She's a local journalist and columnist who's on a lot of national syndicates, too. She's on the um, the Decade series on CNN, nice. which I love. Um, and I have a lot of admiration for her work. And she just has valuable takes on pretty much everything. So, like, she had a great, great article about Michael Jackson after oh, everything. Oh, interesting. Um but just every aspect of culture. So she had this to say about this. Quote, During a racist incident in my workplace years ago, people of color pushed back. A white male colleague lamented the passage of a time when you could just say anything. He didn't recognize that those were miserable decades for women, people of color, and the LGBT community. We were expected... Bleh, you were expected to stay silent while your race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual identity was dragged to filth in front of your face. What was once okay for him was never okay for the rest of us. Now these men who believe simple common decency is a major affront to their manhood can't navigate a society where marginalized groups and their accomplices finally feel empowered enough to say enough is enough. As comedian Hannah Gadsby recently tweeted, pushing for a culture of respect is not the same thing as canceling culture. So I won't add more mm -hmm. to that much, but yeah, this act people are putting on like society has some cancer from PC culture is whiplash from a generation of people who have never faced consequences for that icky hate, that hate bubble that you know is wrong, but you want to act like is justified. Mm -hmm. It's there and the consequences for it are here. Mm -hmm. Thank God. And you will be held accountable for yourself from now on. So put some thought into what you want to be known as and remembered for and consider whether or not it makes you proud. Yeah. And that's, that's all any of us can do, but we actually have to do it now. Mm -hmm. So I think I got it all out. Do you have any else, thing else in there? Oh, they got to expel. Yeah. I think that's most of today. it. <laughs> Let's get, I mean, if there's more no. in there, I'll pull it out. No, we're good. But I think just in general, like this is our fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying, like, this is my fight song. Because it's not like that. It's not like we get to champion this. It's that this is shitty, ugly, hard, and it's people with our faces who are pushing it forward. Yeah. So it's it's our shit to deal with. We gotta deal with it. We're yeah. not putting this on other people. Um, that's, that's how I feel about it. I think that's, I think that's that. Yeah. But I want, mo I want more. I want more feelings about this I want to know how people feel about this it is everyone has an opinion on yeah, this. yeah they really do even people with no opinions have opinions on this and I don't know why it is just so it's become a real like sticking point yeah it's one of those things that I can't really understand and it makes me so angry to think about 
and I need I need to work through that. So thank you for letting me rant for so long. We've gone so over, and I'll have to do a lot of editing. It's okay. But I'm looking forward Cut to it. Cut out the thing about the Mary Celeste. I won't. <laughs> With the thing about the Mary Celeste, like your whole, your whole segment. Um, no. And you're like, there's these things called ghost ships. And it's like, all right, Allie, what are you talking about this week? Um, yeah, I'll do that. Um, all right, let's, let's wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for going on this ride with us, you guys. Um, as always, um, please, if you can leave us a comment, subscribe to us on your podcatcher, um, you know, share, share us with your friends. That stuff really means the world to us. It really makes a big difference. So we really appreciate it. Um, and until next week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified.